Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. WA Real brings you real and authentic stories from fascinating people here in Western Australia. Stories to inspire and guide you to take action to be all you can be. Today, we're going to go into a number of themes, from bucking the trends of industry to create a business in line with personal values and ethics, through to challenging perceptions and perceptions around food and meals to break down boundaries and labels. Today's guest is chef and owner of New Ethic Plant Food, Joel Camp. Born in Adelaide, Joel grew up in a small town on the coast of Port Pirie before moving to WA for work over 20 years ago. Chef of 22 years, Joel is also a long-term ethical vegan. Joel worked in conventional kitchens for most, of, most part of his career before moving into whole and plant food kitchens like Solomon's and the Raw Kitchen. Then, in 2008-16, he launched New Ethic Plant Food with a focus to present plant-based, gluten-free and cruelty-free pop-up and private dining experiences with minimal ecological impact. Joel, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks for having us, Bryn. No worries. So you grew up in, in South Australia. Uh, one of the things, particularly for me, because yeah. I, I originally come from England and moved here seven and a half, eight years ago. Um, when you grew up, how did you perceive Western Australia and Western Australians? How did you, what, what was, the, what was your thoughts around it as you grew up in South Australia? Um, truthfully, other than the football, I didn't yeah. really have that much idea of it. Right. Um, my mum was from over here originally. Um, so she grew up in Kalgoorlie. And then the family moved over to South Australia. So I'd come over here on holidays as a small child. Yeah. Um, and then it, it was just a family holiday. So other than that, I had, I had, you know, no real, right. No real perception of what, what the state was or, you know, the people or anything. You know, I was obviously heard the old wait a while and <laughs> wait a while. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the, the Western Australians are a bit backwards kind of thing, but, um, yeah. There you go. And then you moved here 20 odd years ago. Yep. And um, how did that come about? Well, at the time I was looking for an apprenticeship in South Australia. I, I guess I was I probably just turned 15 and um, I never really gelled with school. Yeah. Um, all that kind of structured learning environment. And so my dad was like, all right, well, I, I left school at 15. Um if you want to leave school, leave school. But, you know, I've been a shit kicker my whole life and it fucking sucks. If you're going to leave school, you need to get a trade. And so, you know, I'd been working as a kitchen hand in pubs and as a, as a, like a cool kid cat KFC. Yeah. And, um, I was just like, all right, well, I, I want to be a cook. Um, I'll start looking for work. And so I started just sending letters to hotel chains and cafes that I wanted to work, restaurants and cafes I wanted to work at throughout Adelaide and South Australia. Yeah. Um, but at the time, I think it was, you know, early, late 95, early 96. And um, the unemployment rate was through the roof, like almost double where it was everywhere else in Australia. Yeah. Um, so there was nothing, you know, after months and months of sending letters out, nothing, you know, it was just like, oh, no. Nah. You know, you sort of, you can't, you can't really do it. So I'd, I'd, I'd worked at places for free for a, a period of a month or two, trying to get my foot in the door, but they're like, look, we can't afford to take anyone on. It's just the way it is. And, um, and so I was like, all right, oh, the deal I had with my folks was that I had 12 months to find a trade. 
And if I couldn't find a trade in that 12 months, I was having to go back to school. And um, so then I was like, all right, fuck, I, I got to find something. I, I didn't want to be back at school. So then I was in the the CES um, just looking through the job boards and there was an ad for a group training agency over here. And so I called them up and I'm like, hey, look, I, I, I'm interested in a chef's apprenticeship. They're like, yeah, great, come in for an interview. And I'm like, oh, look, I'm in South Australia. And then they kind of started mocking me a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah, great, great. Yeah, come in for an interview. All right, no worries. And um, I spoke to mum and dad. And I'm like, look, I've got this opportunity for an interview. And they're like, all right, well, let's book a, let's book a plane ticket and get you over there. And um, so then I called them back and I'm like, all right, I'll be there. I'll be there on Wednesday. Set me up a meeting for Wednesday, an interview for Wednesday morning. And um, I packed a packed a backpack and come over for an interview. And within, I pretty much gave them seven days. You know, I'm getting close to the end of my year. Yeah, I've got seven days to find me a job, or I'm um, heading back to South Oz. And then they they came through with the goods and sent me for a bunch of interviews, and I got a job in that first week. So I called the folks and packed the rest of my shit and sent it over because <laughs> I'm staying here now. Excellent. And you've not been back since. Um, been back a few times, but yep. he is home now. Yep. So, yeah. Superb. I always keep coming back. Superb. So you said you worked in uh, kitchens and kitchen hands and you wanted to be a chef. What, yep. what was it that drew you to wanting to be a chef? Um, I guess food's always been part of my family. My mum was in the hospital sector and she would be, she was essentially the kitchen kitchen and dining coordinator of the hospital and my my grandmother my dad's mum um was a cook in pubs so I, I sort of grew up around food um and then both my both my parents were shift workers so I was quite often having to cook for my sister and make lunches and stuff like that and then I got to experiment and play much that she didn't like it yeah but you know I got to experiment and play around and I guess that kind of just sparked that 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 little concept of, you know, food and nurturing through food. Yeah. Um, and how's your um, relationship with food and chefing changed as you've, you know, you've been doing it for 20 years now? Is it still similar to what it was 20 years ago or is it changed now? I'd say it's very much the same. Um yeah, obviously elements elements have changed, um, but at the I guess the core principles is the the wanting to explore flavors, cultures, and love through food. Mm. How do you mean love through food? I like that. Um, I guess you know some people have a way of nurturing, and some people show their love by by feeding. And then I guess the other way I look at it is that um, food and mood are so closely entwined. Mm. So if you're preparing a meal for someone that you love or you're putting love into something, then you're transferring that to to someone else. And, and even today now, like when I'm really in flow and super creative and I'm, I'm, I'm cooking for me, um, you know, even if it's for someone else, but if I'm cooking, you know, something yeah. that, that really sparks me, um, I'm, I'm making love to the food. Like it's that, 
it's that direct concentration nothing else matters everything else just falls away it's just mm. it is process and the flow state yeah, like exactly say. yeah fantastic fantastic so um obviously as i said in the introduction um you're a long-term vegan how how did that come about how did you make that choice uh when when did you make that choice uh initially through hardcore it was hardcore punk Um, all right i guess late late 90s would have been 99 2000 um i discovered bands like i guess like earth crisis and and morning again and um hardcore bands with a very i guess a very politically and ecologically driven consciousness right um who were very outspoken on animal rights and at the time you know i i was a young punk um and it was just that whole that whole anti-system um anti-capitalist ideology that really kind of fired it up in me yeah um and then the more research that I did on the state of animal welfare, the meat and dairy industry within Australia and and internationally, yes, um, it seemed like the logical choice. Was it an easy choice to make? In terms of actually going from oh, I'm going to do this to actually I'm going to change my diet and here we go, bang, and then it becoming a new set of behaviours. It was. It was um, not as easy as it is now. Like now, you can walk into cafes anywhere and get vegan options. Mm. Um, back then, there wasn't much available at all. You know, there's always been sanitarium stuff, and in terms of eating out, there was sort of Lotus and Formosa in Northbridge. But um, it it was pretty hard back then. <laughs> but you know, that's that's all right. That's the way it is. Yeah. Um, there you go. So how – tell me about um, – so you're making this choice to become a vegan and you're moving away from eating meat and dairy, et cetera, et cetera, yet at the same time your job must have involved preparing meat, preparing – Constantly. Constantly. Constantly yep. preparing meals that are, are sort of – particularly given what you said about, you know, being motivated from a yep. politically aware punk scene and, and there being that extra level of morality, obviously, behind yep. where you're making your choice. Yet you're also making your living out of delivering yes. meals like that. Yep. How did that sit with you? Um, at the time. And those around you. <laughs> yeah, well, those around me, not so much. Um, at the time, I, being there wasn't that many options, um, I'd kind of separated my personal and professional ethics and sort of realized that, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not able to choose my personal ethics without an income. You know, if, if, you, if, if, if I took that money off the table, then I'm reduced to eating whatever it is that I can afford or I can buy. And sadly, it's mm. fucking trash food. Yeah. Um, and so for a lot of years, I put a separation between between the two. Right. Um, just going, okay, what I do in my personal life and what I do in my work life 
there is conflict. Yeah. But somehow I've got to put food on the table and keep the roof over the head. Yeah. So um, that was a sacrifice that I had to had to become comfortable with, I guess. Yes. Yes. And did uh, so it must have been easier when you went to places like Solomon's and and the Royal Kitchen. So much. So yeah. Much. Did it get to a point of where the conflict got a bit too much, and then I was like, right, I've got to go and work in places like this. It did. It did. I mean, I I pushed through for probably the best part of the best part of eight or nine, even ten years, mm. um, working in conventional kitchens, and it got to the point where it was just. I, I had no love, you know, like if I was preparing a vegetarian dish, yeah, it was, it was all in. And as much as, you know, I'd never, I never sh- took shortcuts or, or anything else. The fire, the fire wasn't there mm. and it got to a point where I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, and I took, I took 12 months out and then kind of reevaluated where I was at going, okay, do I still want to cook? I feel burnt out. The passion, the passion is there, but I've got no drive to do it on a, on a major scale. And so I sort of sat with myself and, okay, why, why is that? Oh, because I'm preparing a heavy meat base, you know, a lot of heavy meat based meals. Yeah. Well, how do I combat that? And um, it was around the same time that Solomon's had they'd just been open for a couple of months, mm. and they were they were looking for looking for people. And I was just like, okay, well, I can step away from what I'm doing now. Mm. And although their their menu is essentially fifty percent paleo and fifty percent vegan, um, it was a much greater a much greater emphasis on on whole foods, on on real food, um, and on what do you mean by real food? Um, not so much processed. Right. Yeah. Um, a lot of whole foods. Yeah. Um, I mean, and they're obviously being, being organics as well. You know, like, like, like the old saying, you know, 50 years ago, there wasn't organic food. It was just food. It was just food. Yeah. Um, but then, and I, I'm like, okay, well that, that is a step towards where, you know, where I see myself and where I've always seen myself cooking. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll move in that direction. Superb. It must have been um, a nice absence of almost this psychological stress in your life, moving towards Solomon's. and Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. You know, I mean, obviously we still used a lot of meat products. and mm. um, At least it's moving in the direction. Exactly, exactly. And even if, even though, you know, we were using meat products, at least they were ethically raised. And when it all, you know, I mean, the main, I guess, initially the main focus of, of my veganism or vegetarianism mm. was animal welfare. Yeah. Um, so to move away from factory farmed foods into you know, paddock raised and grass fed and yeah. biodynamics and yes. organics was, um, was a huge blessing in itself. Excellent. So you created new ethic plant food yes. and, um, reading some stuff about it. I like how you're working closely with local and ethical farmers and growers. Yep. Um, I like this. You show 
showcase a brand of plant food which is both accessible and appealing to omnivores while standing apart from the rabbit food trapping so associated with vegetarian diet and the uh, monthly pop-up menu events and private catering um and i like the idea of you know give me three words to yep. describe your event or what's going on and then i'll put those adjectives yep into the food and into the selection i really i really where did the idea come from for all, all of this um well, I knew I wanted to venture out on my own and um, catering, I guess, was the was the go-to option because the, you know, the likelihood of a brick and mortar and the overheads yeah. was not something that I was in the position to take on at that stage. And so I'm like, okay, um, I've always enjoyed catering. I enjoy interacting with people. And I enjoy creating for people. And the one thing I never liked about catering, like, you know, I did plenty of catering through, you know, the hotel system and stuff here. And that was, that was all fine. Yeah. Um, but I never liked the idea of being given a list of things. Here's what I can do. Here's how much it costs you. Choose from my list of things and now here's your party. Yeah. And I'm like, that's so, it's so, un, you know, impersonal. Yeah. Um, and so I'm like, okay. It is what you think about. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, so how how do I provide people an experience, an essentially an energetic exchange? Um, and then I came up with the idea of sitting down and talking to them. And instead of just providing them a list of things, it's like, give me give me your story, you know, um, whether it's a, an anniversary or a, or a wedding or um, – just a, a simple dinner for two or anything else. I'm like, tell, tell me your story. And I'll get them to basically like perfect example was um, one of the first jobs we did with New Ethic was a wedding. Yeah. And the couple had met in India, spent a lot of time in Goa, traveled back through India, Southeast A Malaysia, Southeast Asia, and back to Australia. I'm like, this is, this is perfect. So that, that pretty much shows, you know, that, that was a route that, formed your entire relationship because you met in one place, you traveled together, you had this really incredible connection with each other, with the food. So let me, let me take you on that journey back to where we are now. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, the menu as they wanted a buffet. So as you come down the buffet, it started out in Goa and then you rounded back through greater India, Malaysia, finishing with, you know, Australian, more, I guess, more Australian or or Western ingredients for for the desserts and the cakes. Wow, I really love that. And then that that just that just built from there. You know, like um, if it's just a, a private dinner for two or something, it's like okay, give me three words that represent your partner. Get your partner to give me three words that represent you, and then three words that represent your relationship together. And that way I can channel what I'd like to think is the emotion behind yeah. the the emotion and the concept behind those words into dishes. So that way what I'm presenting to you isn't just, oh, here's a fancy meal that you can eat. It's this is the emotional attachment that I have received from the way that you perceive one another mm. and your relationship 
and now let me present that back to you. In the food. In the food, yeah. That's, I really like that because if, you know, I like going out to eat, um, I love going to restaurants and yet there's an unease I get at times where it's kind of like I have to perform within the parameters yeah. of the restaurant and it's, oh, what am I lucky enough to be in enjoy, in paying for the enjoyment of some chef to create yep. for me, you know, they've done this great fancy thing and da da da. So I have to go into their world yep. and okay, that's, that's fair enough. Um, but I'd never really thought about it in the, the inverse of that, as in you're going to come into my world and have a sniff about it and then go, right. Okay. Well, I'll create something that reflects your world as opposed to me having to go into yours. And and that was, that I guess that kind of stemmed back from, the initial genesis, I guess, of, of New Ethic right. was that I want to present fine food without all of the trappings that fine food come with. Um, as much as I, I love, you know, I, I love real dining and real restaurants and yeah. fine dining. The only time I've ever worn a suit in my life is to go to a restaurant, not to a funeral, not to a court, <laughs> not to a wedding. To a restaurant. Um, and I, I, but I wanted to, I, you know, I, I, I'd love to be able to walk into a fine dining restaurant dressed as I am now or in a pair of shorts and thongs or, and for me, it's about the experience and the food. It's not so much about the trappings or the air of servitude. Yes. I want the diner to be comfortable in the space that I create or in their own space. And to still have that level of service, that quality of food, um, and that that sort of artistic journey, um, without the snobbery, yeah, essentially. Hmm. Um, and so then that came that that I guess stream streamed on from there. There's a as I listen to you talk. There's this fantastic. Um gentleness about wanting to connect with people through what you're good at and getting to know them and do yeah. something. Where does that come from within yourself? Um, truthfully, I, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't know. I've, I've always yearned to connect with people. Um, I like to understand people. I, I like to, I like to be a voyeur in different worlds per se. Um, and just to, to travel within them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the, the human element is the main thing that, that feeds me. Yeah. Um, and so I think, I guess much like yourself, you know, having the chance to, to talk to people and get inside their head and, you know, really understand what makes the everyday person tick is yes. what switches me on yeah i find that um by doing these podcasts um i i get to have a little snoop about and this that and the other and i'm fascinated by other people's stories but then i get to learn stuff and yeah. take stuff away and but then i get to capture it and share it with others and etc so it's, it feeds lots of things yep it sits well so when you set up um new ethic um was it something you just decided, right, bang, this is what I'm going to go and do? Or is it a gentle phasing? Or, and what was it like taking the first big step? Because you've gone from working in other people's shops to 
setting your own up. Fucking terrifying. <laughs> Fucking terrifying. <laughs> um, the idea of walking away from an income. Yep. And, and what you know. Yep. To just being like, well, this is what I want to do. And then, I don't know, I, I was just, I, I had a bit of time off work and um, a lot of time to sit and reflect. And it was always like, All right, I've talked about this for the best part of 10 years. And it's always been fear that stopped me. Fear of? Um, financial failure. Mm-hmm. And failure in general, I guess. Um, and obviously starting a restaurant or a catering company or something, you know, it's, it's a huge initial outlay. Um, and so it was like, okay, well, that, that's been, that was my main blockage for, for a lot of years. Um, and then I, I know I just, I came, I came to a place where I was just like, all right, well, fuck it. I got to piss into the wind and hope that I don't get wet because <laughs> if I don't try, I'm never going to know. Yeah. And if I let fear keep stopping me or let fear only let me make half steps, then I'll never really know what I'm capable of. Um, and I'll never be able to really see the vision that I have come to fruition. Hmm. So it was um, run up to the deep end and jump. Jump. Yeah. Was it a case of there's that much pressure building to do this that it's like, oh, I forgot, I've just got to go and yeah. do it? Or did somebody give you a kick or um, a mix of all? And- probably, probably a mix of all. Um, it had always been on the cards. Mm. And... Um, it was just a drive to, I guess it was a yearning for me that wanted more for me. Mm. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to create for myself um, instead of creating within someone else's parameters. Yes. And that was, that was, that was the main drive. Um, It was just that I, I can cook. I need to cook for me because as long as I'm putting someone else's parameters around it, I'm limiting yeah. what I can achieve. Yeah. Um, and so it was just go for it. Your signal to the world, this is what I do. Yeah. Excellent. So um, what was it What was it like then? What was the journey like to start with of setting it up and moving forwards, et cetera, et cetera? Um, initially trying to, trying to, I guess find a client base mm. was pretty difficult. So it was just a lot of social media push, um, talking to people, trying to trying to explain to them what I'm about. And initially, like, especially on the private catering side of things, the idea that people weren't getting presented a list of options put a lot of people off, still does put a lot of people off. Yes. Um but I was like, I was like, okay, I, I, I need to be okay with this. I, I need to realize that if I'm not booking jobs because people don't want to think, 
they just want to pick A, B, and C, and that's done. Yes. Um, and that's fine. Which is kind of funny, really, because they've got to do actually even less in choosing with, with coming to you, yeah. haven't they? Yeah. What they do is come up with a couple of descriptors and yep. they're away. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, some, some people don't like to be um, to put on the spot or have to, you know, think about themselves too much. They just want the things to happen. Yep. And then um, the next challenge was finding finding a host venue in which I could do pop-ups. Mm. Um, so there's the, there's the private part yeah. and then there's the pop-up part. How do they work? Um, the pop-up part was something that I guess initially I'd thought about just doing, um, you know, pop-ups here and there mm. um, because not everyone – not everyone feels they have an occasion to need a caterer. Yes. But everyone likes to go out to eat. Yes. It's very true. Um, and so that was like, okay, so how do I meet the public halfway? And so I was like, okay, I, I want to, and that, that it gives me a chance to play around with themes and yeah. things that I've been. Make a bit of money and do a bit of advertising. Yep. And um, still do the things you want to do. Exactly. Yeah. And you know it's some it, it's nice it is nice to cook in a restaurant space you know like yeah. the challenges that present with having to go into someone's home or into another venue and, and cook is awesome in itself yes um, but it was just like okay so if we do pop ups and then hopefully we can balance pop ups with privates and then hmm. life is life is happy so um, the pop ups are very much we're still. We're back to this is my menu of things that I'm doing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but one of the things, I guess, each pop-up will be, whether it's a different theme, uh, a different concept, mm. and um, a different menu. Like, mm. I guess one of my promises to myself when I started New Ethic mm. was that I would never cook the same menu twice. Right. Um, and whether that's for... You know, like if even if it's if it's a private gig, I went to someone else's thing and they had this. That's great, but that was for them because that was built for them. And when I'm doing a pop up, I'm creating a menu for me, and I just hope that that resonates with the yeah. people that come. It's back to that. Yeah, I'll do what I think is best and yeah. see if everybody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, I guess that that's what it all comes down to. At the end, I'm just like, all right, I got to make it fucking awesome. And hope that it resonates with people. Yeah. And, so, um, whereabouts do you generally do the pop ups? How do you pick places, locations, etc.? Pretty much wherever it will have me. Right. <laughs> um, I've been working with the guys at Doctor Claws and the Claysbrook Community Cent uh, Design Center. Yep. Um, it's a you know a, a central space. Their kitchen close. That's a, being a cafe. Their kitchen closes early, so the evenings are often free. Um, they trade Monday to Friday, so that leaves weekends for doing brunches and things like that. Mm. Um, I've done a few at Little Shop of Plenty, and I've been talking with Emma and Heath down here at Raw about doing something down here. But really, it's whoever will let me use their space. Um, great, you know, whether it's a collaborative event, whereas. Um, to help promote both businesses, they would take care of front of house. We would take care of back of house. And then after, you know, 
all costs are out. We split profits 50-50. Gives a good chance for both businesses to promote. Yeah. Um, or whether it's just a straight hire and I will use their space and also help to promote that space. Yes. Um, that's largely what a lot, like a lot of the Dr. Claus events work is that was a um, renovated warehouse space that's only been open about 12 months. And so to help gain traction and recognition for both names, we're like, let's just do things. And yeah. And the, the, you know, the more events I can put on here, the more interest it creates around the venue that you've got, the more chance that you've got of using the venue for other things and, yeah, yeah, it has a good sense of so, momentum. Yep. Because you did an interesting one recently, I noticed, um, tied up with um, some guys who do yoga as well. Yes, yep. Um, we did we did uh, an event with the t- uh, with Mel from Twisting Peacock. Yeah. Um, and that was that was that was awesome. That was a I guess yin yin yoga guided meditation and that one being an evening practice, so it'd be great to do a dinner. Um, and I guess Mel's Mel's Yin practice is very based uh, within the chakra system, and moving up through it. So I'm like, it would be it would be good to do the same thing with the food um, to keep okay. to keep that to keep that. So how'd you do that then? Is it with a different color, starting with red, orange, yellow, green? Um, not only colors, but I wanted each plate to be a representation of the color of the element and the, tra- I guess, the English translation of the Sanskrit name. Yeah. And so each plate had to have, you know, whether it was the, you know, the root chakra needed to, needed to represent roots, it needed to represent earth. Right. Um, it need to have the color red and then as it progressed through them. Yeah. Um, I like that. That was a massive wonder plan. Yeah. That was a massive wonder plan because I, I like to challenge myself. Yeah. And so, you know, not only did I want to tick color, but I wanted to hit element and I guess the, the meaning of the, the actual name itself. Um, but then I wanted basically. 80% of the ingredients on the plate to be healing and balancing for that chakra. Right. Um, so, you know, it wasn't just a, a, a bit of research. Yeah. <laughs> it took months to plan. Um, but fuck, it was awesome. Like, yeah. And I, I wanted it to be that. I wanted it to, you know, you, you've come out of this really beautiful flow state. And so I wanted to keep that going. Um, and make it an energetic exchange and you know you've just worked through the chakra system so let's let's bring that all back up let's understand now let's heal and heal and balance each each part i really like that um did similar on valentine's day we did an aphrodisiac menu (laughs) and once again i wanted i wanted true aphrodisiacs um there are a lot of pseudo aphrodisiacs so so give me a couple of uh, I guess a pseudo aphrodisiac would be asparagus yes. or anything that is just sort of phallic in shape. Right. Um, but then true aphrodisiacs in terms of food, not herbs. Yeah. You've got things like um, obviously the classics, you know, strawberries, cacao, um, sweet potato, pepitas, you know. Right. Um, 
but once again, good to know what, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Once again, I wanted, I wanted to challenge myself there. Um, so as each dish broke down, it was either like, it was like, okay, so, you know, course one is going to work on libido boosting. And then, you know, sort of, sort of flip back and forth between libido boosting and reproductive health. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, so I can't just put on, say, you know, I, I can't just put on one ingredient and then call it an aphrodisiac because what about the other parties? Um, so what I did with each dish, each dish had to have ingredients that were beneficial for, say, if it was a libido boosting dish, it had to have libido boosting dish that worked on both masculine and feminine elements. Right. Same as, same as coming into, um, you know, sexual reproductive health. Yeah. Needed to have things that would balance and heal for both masculine and feminine. And, um, then we got sort of, you know, I wanted to get playful with it as well. And, um, one of the courses was served as a, as a sharing plate, which was just a, a fig dish. So, you know, encourage the diners to, you know, here, here's your sharing plate. We've taken all your cutlery away. Mm. Eat. The idea is I want you to feed your partners, get messy, get, mm. get sticky, get sloppy, get erotic, um, you know, feed into the nature of what this dinner is about. And so it was, it was, it was beautiful seeing a whole, you know, I guess a dining room full of people just feeding one another. And, oh, that'd be mega. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Indeed. So what is, as you've developed um, the business, what are some of the things you, you, you've learned about developing your own business and going it alone and, and things like that? What's some of the biggest things you've learned? Um, bookkeeping. Okay, fuck. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That was a, um, that was necessary. Certainly, yeah. Certainly a throw into the deep end there. You know, I mean, in terms of costing dishes and all that kind of stuff, but, um, actually breaking it down to a weekly, monthly, yearly profit and loss statements, um, and just managing accounts was, um, that was my challenge zone. Mm. It still is. It still is my challenge zone. Yeah. But, um, and then just that constant promotion, that constant grind. Yes. Um, the marketing, yeah. social media, things like that. And, you know, like, um, for me, you know, social, social media was something that I would look at every now and then. Um, but it, it's, it's really become, you know, key in terms of that if you don't have an active social media presence, people forget about you. Mm. Um, so it's just that constant, that constant rolling ball. Um, they were probably the two biggest things like in terms of, and then I guess on a personal level was constantly pushing myself. Um, so to learn new techniques, to, you know, source ingredients I hadn't worked with before, techniques mm. I hadn't done before, concepts I hadn't played with before. That's impressive because, um, you know, once we get, once we end up by ourselves and we're slightly less accountable um, to answer to other people, you can get into your comfort zone and, and, and what have you. So to continue to push the boundaries, has that become like a, a, a um, a habit that has momentum for you now in itself. Definitely. Definitely. Um, 
I feel that if I'm, you know, I guess it comes back to the old thing. If you stop learning, you're dead. Mm. You're like a shark. If you stop moving, you die. Yeah. Um, so I can't, I can't find comfort within complacency because if I do, then I'm cheating myself. Yeah. Um, and I'm cheating everyone else as well. So I figure if that constant drive for knowledge is there, um, that constant drive for exploration, which is what, you know, brought me to food in the first place. If I let that die, I may as well get a factory job. Yeah. You know, like it's, or, you know, dig holes in the road or I I need to keep Mm. feeding that beast to keep the fire alive. Excellent. How do you deal and have you dealt with criticism on your food? Because obviously we're not always going to get it right. <laughs> and, and yeah, there's always times when you get it right and get it wrong. I mean, this will, this will have started, I imagine, 22 years ago and carried on the way through. How do you deal with that? Especially given listening to you, you put so much of Joel into it. It used to cut. It yeah. used to cut really bad. Um, but I guess probably in the last few years, um, when I come to a point where I really started creating for me and putting all of me into it, Mm. like I said before, make it awesome and pray that it resonates. Now, now if I, as long as I give all of myself to what I'm doing, if I'm 110% happy and I'm 110% you know solid on what I put on that plate and that you know that's good enough for me if people don't get it I'm that's okay yep yeah they might like one plate they may not like the other and that's that's all right but as long as I can sit down and look at the progression of the menu and go fuck I nailed that mm. that's good enough no it's good yeah, it's interesting to listen to you because I can imagine go back 10 years, you put out a meal that somebody doesn't like and it's like, well, yeah, unconsciously probably there's a story there going, well, I've tried the best with what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I know it's not the best because it's not the best of what I can do, which yep. you're now doing. Yep. Mm. And, you know, like even, I guess, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, you know, it would, you want, I guess it comes back to the the concept of food being love mm. and you want someone to like what you've done because you're, that's the way you're loving them, regardless if it's just some random off the street or you know, a, a beloved, um, you want to give them the best that you've got. Yeah. And if that doesn't, if that doesn't gel with them or they don't like it or they, they criticize it and that, that 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 I mean, back then it hurt, and mm. um, you know, like I can remember remember saying so many times, you know, years ago now, that um, you know, you, you'd you'd have a good day, you'd you'd bang out something, you know, you'd bang out a heap of meals that you thought were great, you'd have a really good day, and you felt great about it, and then you get home, and there's a you know, someone's put a Yelp review up or something that's just tearing down what you did, <laughs> yeah. And you'd be like, oh, fucking every asshole thinks they're a food critic now. As long as you've got a mobile phone, you're a food critic. And, um, 
yeah, I guess just being more comfortable with myself, change that into going, well, if I've done, if I've done everything that I can, if I'm happy with what I've done, yeah, that's enough. That's enough. Excellent. So a key part, obviously, of what you do is, is the ingredients and, and, yes. and the food, etc. How, where do you go to go and pick it and find it and select it and source it? And, and what is the general sort of, in, in your view, what is the general sort of, um, quality of the produce that we produce here in Western Australia? The produce over here is incredible. Like, um, obviously limited to what we can grow compared to the rest of Australia and the range, um, just due to the expanse of the state and hmm. obviously the temperatures and everything else. But most of the time, the produce is incredible. Um, I'm lucky enough to work with, I liked, I guess, coming back to the old punk rock roots. I like to avoid, um, multinational corporations mm -hmm. as much as possible. Um, so a lot of the, a lot of the people I work with, uh, whether it's small independent market farmers throughout Wanneroo or Kandula to, I guess, larger, larger companies like, you know, Phil's Veggie Patch, um, Warren Grange Produce down in the Southwest. Um, and then even, you know, farmers markets, um, I made a lot of connections through just attending farmers markets and we go, okay, you have interesting stuff. You're planting interesting stuff. Let's talk. Can I, can I contact you outside of markets, you know, and then yeah, just sort of built a network that way of, of, you know, guys that I can talk to and um, get an understanding of what they're planting shit, yeah. seasons, uh, the season ahead. Um, and so that way, Essentially, my menu creation is dictated by what the farmers and the growers are producing. Yes. Instead of going, all right, I'm going to write a menu mm. and then realizing that, you know, I'm going to have to get half of it imported from South Australia or Victoria or, or Mexico or Peru yeah, or exactly. Yeah. And so I kind of sit, sit with the guys that I've got and it's like, all right, what have you got? And I'm lucky to have, um, a young couple down here and in Condola who, um, are very open, you know, like tiny, you know, new startup, I guess, startup growers. Yes. And it's like, give us a list of things that you want. And so I'm like, okay, that you guys are into organics and heirlooms. Let's work with heirlooms. So here's a list of heirlooms that we're going to try and find seeds for. Um, or I'll start calling mum and dad and see if they can get seeds in the post for us or, yes. you know, um, but basically try and keep it as, as, as one-on-one, -on -one, as, as local mm. as possible. And the more money that I can put into the pockets of the people that are growing the, the fruit and vegetables instead of, mm. you know, Coles or any other huge chain, mm. um, the better it is for, for everyone. Mm. You know, that gives them more room to play with new varieties of stuff, new ways of, of growing. Um, it means that I've got access to, you know, heirlooms that very rarely see marketplace over here because, you know, whether they're ugly or they take too long to fruit or. Yeah. So it, it's good. It's yeah. Good. I, I like, I mean, I've, um, food is something that's, uh, popped up a lot on the podcast and, and I make no apologies for it because yeah. I find it interesting and important. 
and we've had many a conversation with um, like the the lady in charge of food rescue who talks about the scale of food that just gets thrown away, etc., and and the lack of seasonality now and this that and the other. So yeah, I mean it's. Uh, Personally, I'm impressed with the way you approach things anyway, but then to actually then connect with the growers. So then there's a connection to Western Australia. Yep. Mm. And that's, for me, that's, you know, kind of, it's, it's about using, using what you have. Um, and that comes back to, I guess, one of my greatest food philosophies is that, you know, as much as I love French food and I love fine dining food, I'm equally as happy with, you know, South American, Indian, Mexican, Central American cuisines, um, Asian cuisines. And I think that on a large scale, if you give the best possible produce to a good chef or a good cook, they can make something great out of it. Yeah. But the mark of a really good and an inventive cook is what your poorest people can do with what's available to them. And so that comes back to what's available to me right now. Not at the shops, not if I was to go out into my own garden or into someone's garden, what is available to me? Outstanding. And so that stems the menu. And. Mm. Um, you, I, I mentioned earlier on about um, introducing omnivores to um, plant-based food and getting yes. away from the rabbit food thing. Um, how how do you do that, and how do you get there with that? And I found it interesting thinking about you know we, we're very good at, get, at jumping into labels you know, yeah. like I'm a vegetarian, I'm gluten free. I'm an omnivore, I eat meat, yep. I'm a pescatarian, I'm a paleo, da, 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 da. And we all like these different things. Do we really need all these labels? No. Or can we just make choices based on either A, what we fancy, or B, what our body's actually telling us? Definitely. That's that's what it should be based on. Um, and that's why, you know, generally if someone asked me, I would generally say I, I lead a plant-based lifestyle. Um, but... I don't definitely, I definitely don't think there's a need, there's a need for labels. Mm. Um, and that way when constructing dishes, I make sure that, you know, there is enough starches, there is enough proteins, there is. So if you are, you know, someone that eats a lot of meat and, you know, needs that for energy, if you eat one of my meals, then you've, you've still got that same satiated feeling. You're still full. You've got enough protein. You've got enough iron. You've got enough energy from it. Um, just by making clever, clever nutritional choices in terms of the way that the dish is balanced. Yeah. Um, but I guess that comes from my own diet as well. You know, like I'm, I'm by no means a small, weedy little yeah. vegan. Um, and I, you know, I need that, that fulfillment and that sort of, you know, that that energy from food it needs to be nutrient dense yes and so i figure if i can present nutrient dense nutrient dense food nutrient dense interesting food to people of any diet 
then there's something that they can vibe with. There's something they can bond with. You know, they can go away and not feel like I I need to go and have a steak now because I've eaten yeah. a plate full of fucking carrot and hummus. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, going not, some sausages. Yeah, not that there's wrong with anything wrong with carrot and hollers. No, I like fucking eat it all the time. Yeah, <laughs> super. Um, yeah, obviously, food is your passion, and and you look at things. How do you view? And I'm asking you almost to be a, a commentator now. Yeah. How do you view the state of um, eating and meal times and things like that here in Western Australia? As you you know, you'll be more attuned to looking at what goes on and what have you. What What's your view of it? Western Australia's come a long way. Um, In what way? When I first came over here, dome was kind of a good thing. You know, like it was very, very pedestrian, very dumb. Um, but there's a lot of new life in the industry. There's a lot of really creative chefs Mm. in this state that are really pushing boundaries. Um, And so the the quality of food and the the passion and the drive behind the restaurant industry over here has seen a massive elevation in the last five years alone, really. Um, Five to ten years, some amazing things have happened. Mm. Um, What about in the consumers? both in restaurants and back at home, would you say? Definitely. I mean, you know, shows like MasterChef and um, has just tweaked everyone into wanting a little bit more than standard pedestrian fare. Yeah. You know, there's still the, uh, there's still the idea that people don't want to pay, a lot of people don't want to pay money for food. They want the best quality at the lowest cost. Um, and they would, you know, in a state like this where everything is exorbitantly priced, it's completely understandable. Mm. Yeah. Um, but generally speaking, I think that people expect more from as, as diners, whether it's in their homes or, or in restaurants, people expect more from their food. They want more. Wow. They want more excitement. They want, more buzz, hmm. um, which is, it's, it's right. You yes. Know, you know, um, obviously we need more late night venues. You know, the moon is great, but there's only so much that they can do. Um, but very much so. Yeah. The food over here is great. Hmm. And the, the industry over here is great. We need to, it'd be lovely if we could see the same kind of boom, um, in evening dining or late, even late night dining that we've seen in, in brunch and breakfast dining in the last few years. But, um, we're very much so the breakfast state. <laughs> yeah, we do like to uh, go to bed early and get up early. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned one of your food philosophies earlier on. Do you have any other food philosophies that you can share with us? Uh, the main thing it comes back to is food is love. And I I also sort of think, you know, whether you show love through food, you feel nourishment through food, um, it, you know, releases dopamines, it makes you feel great. But then there's also, I guess, a question that you could ask anyone in the world. And regardless of, you know, 
their background, their religion, their ethnicity, you'll always get the purest and most honest response being, what do you do for fun and what's for dinner? Yeah. And I think with those two questions, you could break down boundaries globally. I like that. I like that a lot. So if we look um, over the next three to five years, what are some of the uh, goals, visions that you have for yourself and, and, and new ethic and, and things like that? Um, well, and well, I guess initially I'd like to just continue what I'm doing um, to try and promote a couple of larger pop-ups, tie in with um, whether they're tying in with sort of ecological or or other concepts like a you know with the rising of the sea levels I'd like to do a, a very sea and shoreline focused um, a lot more work with indigenous foods and preserving indigenous cultures um, you know and then way down the line possibly a, a brick and mortar establishment. Um, I always always had a dream of a brick and mortar that was similar to, I guess, a sushi train without the conveyor belt. Um, and this comes back to, like I was saying before, the idea of, of fine food without the air of servitude. Hmm. Um, and so when I do have the possibility of doing a brick and mortar, it will be a central kitchen with all the seating around the kitchen Basically, you'll have someone seat you, come in as you are. There's no need to get dressed up. Um, and then it will just be plate. You know, there'll, there'll always be multiple course menus, mm. um, progressive menus, tasting menus. And it'll just be plates flung straight from the kitchen to the diner. Um, and that way you can interact with people over the pass, get a good gauge for how they're feeling. Um you know, if someone doesn't like one ingredient or something, you can always, you know, build from there. But I want it to be a more a more personal interaction between back of house and, and, and dining. In front of house, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Um, away from cooking, what do you do to keep yourself grounded? A lot of meditation. Right. Yep. Um, I guess I have a, have a daily practice, both evening, uh, morning and evening. Um general just stillness uh breath work hmm. i love i love to float um so I'll, I'll try and jump into a pod at least once a week yes the guys at beyond rest have been um have been incredible for me but um yeah me general meditation and what does what is that how long have you been doing it for and how, what does that bring into your life um a sense of calm hmm. i've been doing it for about five years um it just allows me to quiet the mind chatter and that constantly overrunning what's next, what's next, what's next, and just sit with myself, um, be present within the way I'm feeling at that time. And then also if, you know, I'm trying to build ideas or menus or anything else, just let anything come through. Mm. Um, forcing it in your head, just yeah. letting it come up. Yeah. And, um, yeah, generally to bring stress levels way down, you know, instead of just running that constant hamster wheel, I know that I've got, you know, 30, 
30 minutes to an hour at the beginning and the end of the day in which I can just really ground myself and prepare myself for the day. And, um, likewise, you know, go into, going into bed or into sleep or into relaxation. You know, I've brought myself out of that hyper flow state and just into a state of being. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that, that, that helps me in my relationship with my work, in my relationship with other people and especially with my, with my partner. Yeah. So yeah, it's, that's, it's been a savior for me. Before that, I was pretty tightly wound. Um, yeah. But is that, is that presence of mind how you deal with at the same time you mentioned in the last couple of years, you've been able to deal with the criticism of your food? Very <laughs> when much it, when so. When it occurs. Yeah. Very much so. Um, I think a lot of it's due to, you know, I guess due to finding peace with myself through meditation. Mm. Um, and a comfort with myself and, and my skill set and what I do and what I offer the world and um, knowing that that's enough for me. Super. Yeah. If you could um, go back and meet that Joel that's um, just about to go over to Western Australia for that interview, which led to the journey, yep. and you could give him a piece of advice from where you are now, what piece of advice would that be? Fuck up, make mistakes, <laughs> fall on your face, fail and fail and fail. Because it, it, they're all building. It all builds to what it is now. Um, I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't give myself any other advice. I would, yeah, I think that um, learn hard, play hard and learn hard. Mm. And don't be afraid of failure. Failure is your best friend. But yeah, that's probably what I would let him know. Excellent. And for anybody out there who wants to go and make a difference with um, creating food and working around food and similar sort of stuff, uh, wanting to be a chef, any sort of advice for them? Um, don't give up. It's very easy to give up. Like the hours are unsociable. Mm -hmm. um, the work's hard. You're on your feet for a long time. But follow your passion. And if you're really passionate about doing it, then the rest of it seems trivial. But as long as you follow that passion, you will find purpose within that passion and that purpose will be enough to keep driving you. Super stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Joel, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. You too. I've really enjoyed it. Um, it's made me think about a whole lot of things a whole lot differently, certainly going to restaurants, et cetera, what have you. I've been super impressed with just your connection and your passion for the food that you create and the people who eat it. And, you know, almost, and then that bit from, from the ground all the way through to the stomach almost. And seeing that journey, I've been super impressed by that and the honesty of, you know, just how you approach things. And I've, it's been a fantastic insight into how you approach stuff. Um, so thank you very much. I'm pretty sure the listeners out there will have, will also have had a similar sort of thing. Um, if any of the listeners wanted to uh, find you, get hold of you, get you in for um, a private experience or find out where your pop-ups are, how yep. can they do that? Uh, there's a Facebook, which is New Ethic Plant Food. 
Yeah. Or Instagram, which is new underscore ethic. Cool. So like it up, follow it up. Yep. Hit it up. Know what, hit it up. You'll know what's going on and you'll know how to get out of job. So, um, yeah, thank you very much for your time. Nah, thank you, Bryn. Cheers. Awesome. Thank you.